John chapter 12, we've come to verse 37, where it says, But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes, and he hath hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw uh, his glory and spake of him. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And and he that seeth me seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which has sent me, he gave me the commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. And we come to this interesting section in John here, these verses. We have really come to the end of Christ's public ministry. It tells us in, uh, in verse 36 that he left, the hostility was there, and he was hidden from them. And when we get to chapter 13, we switch gears. We then go to the upper room, and for five chapters that we don't have in the other Gospels, we're in the upper room with Jesus, hearing things that John remembers that he said unto them, the way he prayed, the promises he made them, and so forth. So this is the end here, summarizing his earthly ministry. And he summarizes it saying, but though he had done so many We don't know how many. Though he had done so many miracles among them, yet they believed or they continued not believing on him. So it seems like, okay, this is the the, the program didn't work out. This is a failure. And then he goes and says, well, not so. In fact, this was a fulfillment because this is what Isaiah had to say. And even in context of that, there were many of the leaders that believed. And Jesus says, then I came into the world a light, so people don't have to abide in darkness. I'm not here to judge, I'm here to save. 
anybody who rejects me, as we go through this, the one that will judge them is the word that I've spoken at the last day. And I don't say anything, say anything except the Father, the commandment he's given me, and I know that this is the commandment of the Father, everlasting life. So anything you've heard from me, you haven't heard from me, I only speak what he says. And he takes us through this remarkable series of events. Because many of us say, well, if I could see a miracle, if an angel would come to my bedroom, you know, some ridiculous thing, then I would believe. Now, Romans says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Because here's a picture of these people. He had done so many miracles among them. John kind of outlines seven of them and calls them signs. If we go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have 36 miracles outlined. But the vast majority of his miracles are not recorded. We're told in places like when Peter's mother-in-law is healed at Peter's home, the sun goes down, Sabbath is over, and they brought multitudes to them. And it says he healed them all and delivered them from demons. All. You're talking about probably thirty to 40,000 people gathered at that point in time. He healed them all. And we find this as we go through the Gospels. There are just times when they're throwing people down in front of him, and no doubt they're being healed as quickly as he touches them. The, the, the number of John said, if, you know, he wrote everything he did, the, the libraries couldn't contain the books. So John says here now, though he had done so many miracles, none of this was a secret. People knew. The religious leaders knew. They had to ascribe it to Satan. You know, now they're saying he's a deceiver. They had to do something with it because Jesus is eating with tax gatherers and sinners. Jesus has gathered the harlots to his table. It says the common people are hearing him gladly, and the religious leaders can't hack it. What do you mean? He came to hang out with that kind of people, or that kind of people, or this kind of people? It doesn't fit into our religious system. And they saw the demonstration of his power. Power over the natural. He rebuked the wind and the sea. There were other boats on the Sea of Galilee when he did that. Power over the natural. He turned the, the loaves and the fishes. He, he fed a multitude with that. Power over sickness. Power over infirmity. Power over people that are crippled. Power over demons. Power over death itself. The last great miracle of Lazarus. And it says, though he had done so many of those things, yet they continued not to believe on him. It's their decision at that point in time. They continued not believing. And take notice of that, because unbelief is a stubborn position to be in. These are people that have seen all the evidence that anybody would need to see, and yet they continued not believing in him. And if you're in that situation today, do not be stubborn in unbelief. Because John's going to tell us in chapter 16 that the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's here today, to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. We understand that intuitively. Of sin, there are things that are wrong. Of righteousness, there are things that are right. And of judgment to come, everybody's going to give an answer. People kind of know this, as we all do here this morning. So if you never come to Christ, you're still an unbeliever. Do not be stubborn in your unbelief. 
as we go through these verses now, I want you to realize all of this is in the singular. The things that he's got to say to us now, even the quote of Isaiah, you know, to whom, singular, has the arm of the Lord been revealed. This is not for your wife. It's not for your husband. It's not for the person sitting next to you. It's not for your kids. It's not for your mom or your grandma. This is strictly for you and myself. This portion of Scripture, after everyone else has rejected him, he comes back and says, okay, what about you? This is up to you. And he puts it out so plainly and so wonderfully. It says, they didn't believe, and it's not a failure, it's not a frustration, it's in fact the fulfillment of something. That the saying, the logos, the word of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? It says this is just fulfilling what Isaiah saw. When he was describing the Lord's suffering servant, he said, who has believed our report? Because he's going to grow up you. He's not comely. He's not beautiful. He's like a root out of dry ground. You know, God hath laid on him the iniquity of his all. He says, who's believed that report? Isaiah. And they're not believing it here. He says, this is actually the fulfilling of something. Whom, singular, hath believed our report? Or to whom, singular, hath the arm of the Lord been revealed. And revealed and fulfilled there are both the passive. You don't have to do it. It comes to you. You can refuse it, but it comes. Fulfillment, revelation. Therefore, on account of this, it says, they could not believe because that Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes, he hath hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted, and I should heal them. So Bible scholars, take note of one thing here. He quotes Isaiah from Isaiah 53 and Isaiah from Isaiah 6. And he says those are both the same Isaiahs, both the same Lord. There's no Deutero-Isaiah theory. There's not more than one author of Isaiah. The Bible recognized Isaiah said this and Isaiah said that. Now, they could not believe, therefore, because of their refusing to believe is kind of what he's putting. And what God does, it tells us there, is he confirms them in their unbelief. Because people are going to look at this and say, well, they could not believe. That's unfair. Then God's, what well, he's just picked out the ones he likes and he's going to burn the rest of them in hell. You know, it, it, it's easy for us then to want to grind through, you know, man's sovereignty. Uh, God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. No, he's saying something here. God will confirm eventually a human being in their position. He says it here. Of course, Pharaoh is the great example. Exodus chapter 9, Romans chapter 9, that God sent these signs to him over and over, like the signs that have come to these people. And it says he hardened his heart. He made his heart dull. Chapter after chapter, he hardened his heart. And it finally it says, and then God hardened his heart. He confirmed him in his position, his own. His decisions were made. And it says, there are those, I hope not here this morning, that have just determined they're not going to believe no matter what they see. 
and what they hear, that stubborn unbelief, though there's enough evidence for that to change. God, through their willful blindness, turns it into penal blindness. He goes there. This is not a blinding and a hardening that's decreed in advance to force damnation on men. That's not what the Bible's about. It's a judicial and punitive decree upon those who refuse to believe. They refuse. They have the evidence. And because God is infallible, he foresees, he then describes that through a prophet in the Old Testament because he sees it coming. It isn't that he is causing people not to believe and be lost on purpose. He didn't send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In fact, we're going to see that because it's going to say, nevertheless, which is a word of grace, many of the leaders believed. So there are those in this crowd that are fulfilling it. God's word described those who would turn away. They would never come. God's word is still describing that in these last days. People are going to follow the Antichrist. People that are going to be lost. It isn't that they're not going to have an opportunity. And to the point, an angel flies around the planet preaching the everlasting gospel in every language, every tongue, every human dialect around the planet. And men lift their fists and curse the God of heaven. God's word sees these things in advance, speaks them in prophecy. And it says they couldn't believe because it is written, he blinded their eyes, he hardened their heart, singular, that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart, singular, and be converted, and I should heal them. Then it says this, these things, plural, said Isaiah, same Isaiah, both places, when he saw his glory. Whose glory? Well, the same glory in Isaiah 53 is the same glory in Isaiah 6 when he saw his glory and spake of him. He spake of him in Isaiah 53 as the suffering servant of Jehovah. He spoke of him in Isaiah chapter 6. He said, in the year the king Uzziah died, I lifted up my eyes and saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. And he describes his glory and so forth. It says, John says this, he spake of the Lord, our Lord, of Jesus, when he saw him. So Isaiah sees both sides, the suffering servant and the Lord of glory. And it says it's the same Isaiah, it's the same Lord that comes before us. And it says, nevertheless, that's a wonderful word there. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many, we don't know how many, many believed on him, but... Because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. They did not confess him, here's the reason, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Explanation for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. It says that testimony, those miracles, those things that fulfilled so many Old Testament prophecies, many of the chief leaders saw them. Nicodemus, early in the gospel, comes at night and says, Lord, we, I mean, Rabbi, we see the things that you're doing. We know nobody could do that unless God was with him. That's early on, years before this. So they knew the testimony was there. And it says, 
they turn away willingly. If you turn away today, it's saying you do it, not your wife, not your husband, no one around you. It's singular. You. The onus is on you to reject or to receive. Nobody else. Well, if God's a God of love, how can he send people to hell? He's, he's not sending. He's making reservations. You choose today, darkness or light. You individually. And nevertheless, it says, many of those chief rulers believed, but they didn't confess him because they were afraid of being put out of the synagogue. He tells us in chapter 5, how can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God? It tells us Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were secret disciples in chapter 19 because they feared the Jews. They're part of this crowd, no doubt. And it says the problem with that is they don't want to be put out of the synagogue. That people are here today and around today that in their hearts they believe, but they're not going to open their mouth and let anybody know because they don't want to be put out of their posse. They don't want anybody putting them out of their gang, you know. They don't want anybody pushing them outside of, you know, the people they hang with. And then he says, and you know why? Because people like that love the praise of men more than they care about the praise of God. And by the way, it's, they love the praise from men more than the praise from God. Because God wants to give that to us. They value their own reputation among men more than the approval of God. They would rather have the honor of men than the honor from God. They would rather have man's esteem of them rather than divine approval. Look, we are in that situation. Sometimes in our heart, we know. I remember before I got saved, I was miserable. I was arguing with Christians. Something was gnawing at me, and I knew, because the Holy Spirit was drawing me. There are people here today that know. And, and you're not cooperating with that because maybe someone's been nagging you about Jesus. Maybe you know, if I make this thing public, my friends are going to blow me off. They're not going to hang out with me. You know, now you become a Bible thumper, you know, Jesus freak. There's people constantly in that, that circumstance. And they're, being afraid, they're afraid of being put out. And it says that fear comes from the fact that they'd rather have the praise from men than the praise from God. They would rather maintain their own reputation than have divine approval. They would rather have honor from men than honor from God. They'd rather be esteemed by their friends than esteemed by God Almighty. Don't be in that trap, please. It may cost you, and there's a cost to the gospel. If you're vocal about your relationship with Jesus Christ, it may cost you among friends and relatives. But what you're going to gain is unending. What will be yours will never end. 
if you will do that. And he says, it's the problem. It's the problem with those believers that saw the miracles and yet wouldn't yield. They kept on not believing. Isaiah said these things were going to happen. He says, nevertheless, many of the leaders believed, but they wouldn't confess because they're afraid of men. They love the praise from men more than the praise from God. And then John changes. Notice if you had a red letter, we're going to red letters now. John says, then Jesus cried. He doesn't say where, he doesn't say when, he doesn't say he was listening. It would seem that this is all following along. He says, Jesus cried. It means out loud. He cries out loud at this point in time. These are his last words to the public. He cries out loud. And again, this is all singular. He or she, the individual that has individual belief on me, individually isn't believing on me, but on him who sent me. It's up to you. The individual, he, she, who believes on me. It's all singular. All of this, Jesus, is putting, he's putting on you and I. You know, we sung about these things this morning when we worshiped. This is a personal responsibility. Certainly, we benefit others. We're to be light and salt if we make that decision. But here he is challenging them about the individual decision that they need to make. And he's crying out loud, he individually that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but he's believing on him that sent me. And he, singular, that seeth, singular verb, me, seeth him that sent me. So he says this, look, he says anybody... Anybody, any individual here today who believes on me, you have to understand you're not believing on me alone, but on him who sent me. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You say you believe in Jesus, that, the Jews struggled. They, you know, they had to believe in him as Messiah. If they believed in him as Messiah, he was the one who was sent by God. And Jesus says, understand this, anybody who says they believe in me, they believe in God, too. They don't just believe in me. They believe in the God that sent me. And anyone who seeth me doesn't see me, but the one who sent me. He's going to say in chapter 14, verse 9, you know, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. We'll be satisfied. He says, he says Philip, have I been with you so long, yet thou hast not known me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Tells us in John chapter 1, verse 11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received them, to them he's given authority to be the children of God. He that seeth me has seeth the Father. It means to gaze at, this word seeth, it's used 23 times by John. He that seeth, beholdeth, think about, contemplate. He who is the individual person who's looking at me and thinking about me and weighing things out in their heart, they're not seeing me. They're seeing God who sent me. They're not just seeing me or I'd just be a man. They're not looking at me at my humanity. They're seeing more than that. And he says, I am come, verse 46, wonderful, a light into the world, 
that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. The I is emphatic there in the language. It means this, I, I alone. I encounter distinction to all others. Not Elvis Presley, not Buddha, you know, not the Antichrist, not, you know, Harry Krishna. I, I alone encounter distinction to all others have come a light into the world. Nobody else. Me. And he says that whosoever, that's singular. Whosoever. That's how I got in, because he said, whosoever. You're the whosoever's. I'm one of the whosoever's. Some of us think sometimes he probably regrets saying whosoever. He wouldn't have said if he knew I was coming. No. Whosoever, he says here, believeth on me, should not abide in darkness. Look, we're surrounded with that. The, the darkness we see around us today, whether it's politics, whether it's greed, whether it's child abuse in all different forms, whether it's prejudice, whether it's war, whether it's extortion, it's all around us. This is darkness. There's the prince of darkness rolling over these things. We're in the middle of all of this. And Jesus said, me alone, nobody else, I came to be a light unto this world. That what whosoever individually believes on me doesn't need to abide in darkness. To abide in darkness means to settle down into it, to be held by it, to abide in darkness. Because look, understand, Jesus said the world we're living in, 10 years ago, would you ever, ever dreamed that we're seeing what we're seeing now? Somebody just told me first service, they were just down Arlington. They were over amazed as he went all of the tombstones and so forth. And I said, those guys would roll over in their grave if they saw. They fought for freedom, but it wasn't freedom to mess with children. It wasn't freedom for addiction. It wasn't freedom to hate. It wasn't freedom to steal. That's darkness. That's not light. That's being mentally deficient, not free, not being a free thinker. And the sad thing is, he says, there are people that are going to abide in the darkness. He's coming to our lives to be a light. Look, you guys are in the light. I hope everybody here is in the light, right? We had saved, and all of a sudden the Bible, whoever wanted anything to do with the Bible until you get saved, then it's blowing your mind. You know, I remember before I was saved again, Christmas Eve's coming. We'd be drunk, and we'd go to the 11 o'clock service because it was warm inside, and we'd sit in the back. We'd all laugh and carry on. People would be giving us dirty looks. You know, I come Christmas Eve now, and I realize we're singing the same songs I sang then. But the lyrical content is blowing my mind now. It overwhelms me. I think I can't believe I sung the same songs then. But I was in darkness. I was in darkness. And here's the thing about darkness. You don't want to abide in darkness. Because people that are in that darkness now, the darkness of this present world with all of its standards and all of its morals, and they think they're free, the truth is they're abiding. Something has hold of them by choice. 
And if they don't turn from that, this darkness is the greatest light they're ever going to see. This insanity, everything going on around us, for the person who will not turn to Jesus, this is as much light as they will ever see. This darkness, this insanity is as much goodness and light as they'll ever see. Because when they close their eyes without Christ, they are going darker to darker to darker to eternal, unimaginable darkness. He says, me, nobody else, I came into this dark world a light, a light, that whosoever believes on me doesn't have to abide in darkness. You and I in the light today, you and I have a hope that the world doesn't have. You and I, more and more, our our hope is becoming evident what it is, ain't what we thought it was. And he's coming again. We have that hope. Even if we end up in hospice, even if we end up, you know, taking our last breath in this world, we have hope. Do you have that hope today? Do you know Christ? You have to think about it. Death is total in every generation. For every 100 people born, 100 people die. Cancer does not increase death. War does not increase death. It just makes it happen at different times. But death is completely total in every generation, 100%. And people, when they die, are either going into the dark forever or into the light, from lesser light to greater light. See, when you close your eyes in, in, a, in, in, a, in a twinkling, you open them up to a greater light than you've ever known or ever imagined. And that light will go from glory to glory to glory. And he says, I've come into the world a, a light so that people don't have to abide, be taken down by the darkness. You can say whatever you want to see today. This is an individual decision. doesn't matter what your posse is going to say about you. doesn't matter what other people say. doesn't matter what arguments you have. Jesus is going to say, this is the truth, and this is going to stand when heaven and earth pass away. It's not my will. I came to be a light. I came to reach your empty life. I came to reach your heart. I came to take you out of addiction. I came to gather you to myself. I ate with tax gatherers and sinners. I came into this world to embrace those that are lost and broken. I came to be a light that whoever would believe in me doesn't have to abide in darkness. It's the purpose of my coming. And I did it for whosoever. That's a broad term. Next verse is going to say any man, any woman. Broad terms. They're both singular, by the way. This is something you have to hear today like there's nobody else in this room but you. And I know what that's like because I preached in an empty sanctuary for several months. Like there's nobody here but you. He, he, He says, I am come a light into the world that whosoever... There's no restriction. Believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Now, if any man, singular again, hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. I for myself, I don't judge him. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. I know in chapter 5, Jesus says that there's a point coming when all judgment will be committed to him. That's his second coming. That's not his first coming. 
That's not his coming into the world, that's his coming to the world. He said, I came into the world here, the incarnation. I didn't come to judge, I came to save. Bethlehem, Christmas, the manger, it's all about God's love and God's salvation. It's all about the greatest gift that has ever been given. To us a child is born, to us a son is given. He says, so if any man hears my words and doesn't believe, I'm not going to judge him. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth, and that's, those are all singulars, the verb, the, the he. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judges him. And that is the word that I have spoken. The same shall judge him individually, shall judge him in that day. You know, understand here today, anybody who turns away from me in this room today, on the radio, wherever anybody's listening, anybody who hears and deliberately turns away, I'm not going to judge them. I came to save the world, not judge the world. But the word that I've spoken will judge him. And that will be judged at the last day. There is a final day when Jesus is judged. And at that final day, we either go into the darkness or into the light. And all along, it was a personal decision. It's up to you. It's up to you. You're never going to stand in front of that judgment seat and say, well, I didn't know, because the Lord's going to say, really? Here's the video. Uh, here's you, December 18th, 2022, second service, uh, listening and not paying attention. It isn't that you didn't hear. The word you rejected is the word that will condemn you. Because that word said, whosoever will may come. That word said, any man that wants to can come. That word said, I came into the world to be a light so you wouldn't have to abide in darkness. So those who reject me, it's their decision. I'm not going to judge them, but the word of God will judge them. In that day, when all else is gone, we stand before God, it will be his word that abides forever. And it will be his word that says there, you individually had the right to make a decision between darkness and light. Live out your decision. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment. Sounds legalistic, sounds military. He gave me a commandment, what I should say, what I should speak. And I know, I realize, Oida, I know divinely, I know that his commandment is life everlasting. The one who sent me. He commanded me. He gave me a commandment what to say. And he said, and I know that commandment is this. Life everlasting. Come into the light. Turn away from the darkness. 
No matter how many miracles you see, they won't bring you in. But the word of God that you're hearing today, it will judge you because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And Jesus said there's authority as I say this because I'm not speaking my own words. I'm speaking the words of the one who sent me. He commanded me to say these things, and I know, I know this. His commandment is this, life everlasting. 17 times in John, life everlasting, Zoe, Ionios. It's only used eight times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke combined. John, 17 times, speaks of life everlasting. He said that's why he wrote his gospel, to believe and have life through his name. He said, this is the command of God. Life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. All of us are in this journey, life's journey. All of us will come to the end of life's journey. Uh, Every believer is someone who receives this life that he's talking about, every unbeliever is someone who casts it away. It is the most foolish decision in time and eternity. This morning, look, I don't know what your rap sheet is. I don't know who you are. You know, me, it was drugs, it was immorality, it was all kinds of crazy stuff. But Jesus came and met me where I was. He cared about where I was. He cared about the music I listened to, he cared about the drugs I would say, he cared about my life. I would never have an excuse because he came. As he's here this morning, he says, where two or three are gathered my name, there I am in the midst. And it doesn't matter what your rap sheet is, addiction, you've destroyed your family, murder, greed, prejudice, you know, extortion, it doesn't matter. There's only one thing that matters. Are you going to accept or reject the Savior today? He's come into the world to be a light that whosoever, that includes all of us, that believe might not abide in darkness. He's terrified, as it were, in his heart because there are those that will abide in darkness. There are some, he says, that are going to, they, they believe, but they're not going to confess. They're going to play the game because they're worried about their posse. They don't want to be put out. But even worse than that will be those who reject. So you have an opportunity right now. Uh, those of you that are believers understand it doesn't matter how many miracles you see. That's not how faith grows and faith comes or the Jews would have been the strongest religious people in the world. They saw all the miracles of Egypt. They saw the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire every day. They saw the manna falling from heaven. And as soon as they got a chance, they worshiped the golden calf. Because that outward experience only penetrates so deep. But the word of God, he says here, that will judge you, that goes to the heart. So for the believer here today, look, don't look for the supernatural. I rejoice when it comes. But that's sovereign. I can't call that forth. For those that are compromised today, look, you've got to get over it. Jesus coming. I I don't know who your friends are, but when this all falls apart, there's only one you want to be your friend, and it ain't any of them. Okay? 
when the stars refuse to shine and fall from heaven and the sun doesn't shine and the moon doesn't shine and there's one that's seen coming through the heavens in power and great glory, that's the friend you want. That's the friend you want. You don't want to be afraid about talking about him because you're more concerned with your, your local temporary buddies are offering to you. That's insanity. That's no logic. And for those of you here today that have never come, look, he says, he says, this is God's command. You don't know who God is. Well, God's a God of love. How come this? How come that? No, no. He says, this is the commandment of God. Life everlasting. That's what he's commanding. That's what he wants. And if you're here today and you never have come to Christ, we're going to give you that opportunity as we sing a last song. We're going to ask you to get out of your seat and walk down and stand here in front of everybody. Not just in this room. All the angels of God, the very presence of God. It says when one sinner comes, all of heaven rejoices. Because one eternity is changed forever. But this is an individual decision. You're never going to blame it on anybody else. This journey will come to an end. At that point, do you prefer light or do you prefer darkness? Individual decision. No one else's. Let's stand. We'll pray. And as we sing this last song again, I, I encourage you, if to, you know today's the day. I'm, I'm going to make Christ my Savior. I, I, I got to do this. Then you come. You get out. If a friend brought you, they're going to say, come on, come on, I'll go down with you. Come down and stand here in front of everybody. And by that, you're saying, I repent of my sins. I turn away from the darkness. Lord, I'm turning to you, to the light. I want to be saved. I don't want to be lost. Individual decision. Those of you who have kept your mouth quiet because you're afraid of your, you know, the people you hang with and being excluded, get over it. Jesus is coming. You might as well tell the truth about this whole thing. The world is telling the truth to us every day on the news. You might as well tell the truth as well. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I know you've overheard, Lord. And Lord, we open your word, we study through the passages, we look at it, but Lord, you're the one who adds life to it. Your word is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And you said it divides down into us between what is soulish and what is spiritual. Let that happen today. You said your word, Lord, it never returns void. It's like the snow and the rain from heaven. It accomplishes what you sent it forth to do. Let it accomplish today, Lord. There are those, Lord Jesus, no doubt, no doubt here that you have loved from eternity. And Lord, today you've brought them to a personal decision to accept you or to turn away from you. Lord, don't let them get away, Lord. You add to the church daily such as should be saved, Lord. For every individual man or woman here, Lord, that has rejected, that has disbelieved, but feels you tugging on their heart this day, Lord, would you draw them, Lord, to salvation, to eternal life, to life everlasting. Lord, we, tr we, we trust you to do that work. We stand aside, Lord. 
and watch what you do. Lord, we pray in your name. Amen.